Hey guys, welcome to another edition of the Overland Trail Guides podcast. My name is Ben. I'll be your host. This is episode 004, and we're going to be talking about the Kofa Pioneer Trail in Southern Arizona. Uh, if you want to learn more about this particular route, you can check it out on our website at www.overlandtrailguides.com. We have tons of other great routes there as well. Um, and for this particular episode, we have John Liotti. Uh, John, why don't you introduce yourself? Hey, Ben. Uh, man, thanks for having me here. So, uh, you know, you heard my name. I'm John Liotti. And uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of a newbie in the uh, in the overlanding community. So my background is more in motorcycles and, and dual sport and, and road racing and, uh, and street riding. So over the past couple of years, uh, you know, I uh, was attracted to the to the overland community, and especially uh, with the the various intersections. I think with my motorcycle passion, also. So, super excited to uh, be in the community, and uh, it's been it's been heck of fun so far. Yeah, cool. Yeah, we went we went on this adventure recently, which is why I invited John on. Um, there's a lot of crossover, <clears throat> as you mentioned, between like the dual sport what people do on bikes. Maybe you can give those users that have only done the overlanding or new to overlanding and just give a little bit of background on that to kind of understand where you're coming from. Yeah. So, you know, I'm the type of, you know, I kind of, I'm a little stuck up a little bit. Uh, you know, I consider myself a dual sport rider, not an adventure rider. Mm. Um, you know, ADV riders have the reputation of sort of riding to Starbucks and not out in the trails. So, um, so for me, there's lots of overlap because I really uh, love the dirt and want to be out in the wilderness. And, um, you know, a lot of the routes are the same. Uh, some of the gear is the same, specifically around the camping stuff. And, and uh, and you know, just the passion of dirt riding and sort of being out there, I think, has a lot of overlap. So, yeah, um, and a lot of differences, too, obviously. But I think uh, I think those these two communities really can um, can benefit from each other. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, just. To give a little bit of background on Overland Trail Guides, I definitely look at ADV Rider, mm -hmm. other forums out there as well, trying to get ideas, tracks, and all that stuff that we can feature on the website. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, definitely see the overlap there. And as you mentioned, you just started overlanding. What 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 rig do you have, and what are you using right now? So I have a stock uh, Tacoma uh, 2018 TRD off road, um, and it is stock right now so i just ordered mm -hmm. rock sliders and uh, a skid plate so i'm starting to build it out and trying to figure out sort of how far to go with it um you know i'm not i'm not out there trying to do you know rock climbing um you know i'm much more into the grand touring piece of it um so you know so i'll build it uh, appropriately and uh and i don't have a ton of money especially with two passions that can really uh, <laughs> suck, you, suck you dry so uh, i hear you uh, so even I'm, one <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you. So I'm trying to be selective and build it smartly um, because yeah. it is my daily driver also. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm in the same boat as well, where I, I definitely drive my wife's car. Uh, but otherwise, I'm driving a big hulking Land Cruiser, getting like nine miles a gallon around town when I'm yep. driving it. Um and and I imagine you're probably getting those sliders as a result of this trip too, right? Just uh, yeah, there was a couple of hairy spots. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, yeah. We'll talk. We'll talk a little bit about that in a second. Uh, I did want to talk to our viewers about the Kofa Pioneer Trail. So it's right outside of Quartzsite in Yuma, in southern Arizona. This particular route uh, is about 250 miles, and I would say if you're going to do the entire route. 
Um, you want to plan at least four days, and I would probably say five is probably better to kind of get the full experience. Otherwise, you're just going to kind of be driving, driving, driving all day. Some people don't mind that, uh, but it is really beautiful out there. And if you want to take it in, I would say try to spread it out over or over five days. Um, so it's set in the Kofa Wilderness, uh, which is the Kofa Wildlife National Refuge. It was established in 19... 1939. It's about 660,000 acres. The Boy Scouts actually were the ones that lobbied to get it set, uh, put aside to protect bighorn sheep. And what's really cool about this place is even though it's in the desert and it gets hot as F during the summertime, um, there's a lot of really cool like mines out there or mining trails old homesteads. And some of these are actually active mines as well. A lot of them are abandoned, uh, but we did see some active mining sites, including the King of Arizona mine, which Kofa is named for, K of A, King of Arizona. And then as far as like the optimal time to travel, you could go any time of year. I wouldn't recommend going in the middle of summer just because you're probably going to be well above triple digits. You could be 110, 115 out there during the day. So what we'd recommend is probably going between October and May. Uh, we went right before Thanksgiving, and I think that the weather was perfect. Um, it was warm during the day, got cool at night, um, but other than that, it, it was at neither extreme. As far as an appropriate rig, uh, you definitely want a legitimate 4 by 4 So as John mentioned, he has a stock uh, Tacoma, and other than, I think you, you upgraded your, your tires, right? So you have some proper all terrains. Yeah. 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 I, I, got, I got the right tires. Yeah. Which I would definitely recommend because there are definitely some rocky sections that you're going to go over. Um, but you know, you have, you have a pretty long wheelbase. You have the long bed with the mm -hmm. extra cab. And we, we definitely had some close calls there, but you made it through everything without any sort of rock slider. So if you were in something like, uh, a forerunner or a wrangler you're going to be fine as long as you have the proper tires cool so one other thing that i would mention especially for those of us that have very thirsty vehicles i would bring some extra fuel i know i don't know if you needed it john but if you do the entire route including the last leg up to big eye mine uh, you're going to use a lot of gas even though there doesn't look like there's a lot of elevation gain on this particular uh, route, there are a lot of up and downs and kind of slow moving that just, uh, you know, for somebody like me that has a big 5.7 V8, it just sucks the gas and it's gone. So would definitely recommend that as well. Yeah, I got down to uh, an eighth of a tank um, before we got out of there. So I had five gallons with me um, and mm -hmm. I'm glad I did because it, that gave me the peace of mind to know that we could, yeah. we could get out of there because it's, I mean, we were out in the middle of nowhere. So, I mean, there's yeah. not much uh, recourse if you get stuck. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So why don't we jump into the adventure? Mm -hmm. Day zero, as I like to call it, because we didn't hit the trail. So the situation was this. Uh, John and our other friend, Daniel, they took Friday off. I decided I was going to work that day and probably try to get out of town around 3 p.m. Uh, you guys were on I-5 coming from the San Francisco Bay Area, headed south. Uh, towards Palm Springs. What time did you guys get on I-5? Uh, see, Daniel and I met about one o'clock in Santa Nella. Um, so yep. right about then. And uh, okay. we came down came down I-5 and then took 58 over through the Mojave uh, mm -hmm. down to 15 and dropped in the back way just to avoid some of the LA traffic. 
Yeah. And then what I had done is I'd give them some uh, kind of a, a top three camping spots in the Palm Springs and Indio area. I said, try to go to this one. If this one doesn't work, then go to this one and then go to this one. And I didn't give them the route to the number one spot. I did drop a pin and say, hey, here's where you can come in from the freeway. Um, but I don't know if you guys caught that. So uh, when I got down there around midnight uh, and I drove in, and they were telling me, oh, you need to put it in four low and you need to do this and you're going to hit a gnarly section. And I was there in three minutes. <laughs> I was like, I was like on a graded BLM road and I was like, are they just messing with me or, <laughs> or did they really go through that? Yeah, that's not how we came there. So we, we came this back route through this pretty gnarly section, especially, you know, I got a little nervous at night because it's a. Uh, you know, Daniel's got a different kind of rig. I mean, he's, you know, he's lifted and he's got all the, all the equipment and things, you know, running the, the, the Toyota was a little sketchy at night. Cause I, I didn't know what I was going to get hung up on or anything, but we, you know, we made yeah. it through thankfully, but it was, uh, I definitely would have enjoyed your, your side of it. I would have loved that first <laughs> section of the daytime, but nighttime, it's a little bit sketchy. Yeah. Especially if you don't, like you said, you don't have a lift, you don't have sliders, you're not familiar with the trail. Um, and, and then the lighting setup with like shadows and everything can make it really difficult to navigate at night. So I, I, I totally empathize with you at, at yeah. that. So we stayed at Palm Springs. We got hit with a little bit of a windstorm, not much of a surprise being out in the desert. Um, I don't think any of us slept too great that night other than Thomas, which is my five-year-old, which, <laughs> you know, to put that in perspective, we, we, uh, we went camping in the Feather River Canyon earlier this year. And if you've ever camped there, the freight train is on the other side and it came through about four times in the middle of the night. Some of those trains are well over a mile long and he didn't wake up, you know, it's like screeching and honking and he slept like a prince. So good for him. Uh, <laughs> us old guys, not so much. So we head out of Palm Springs. Um, we head over to Kofa and we get into Arizona, uh, we crossed the Colorado river, obviously not a whole lot of water left there anymore. Kind of sad, but it is what it is. And there are a lot of people out there camping. At first I was kind of taken aback. I was going, there are a lot of vans out here. There are a lot of campers. There are a lot of RVs. Are there going to be a lot of people on this trail? Cause we, we went to, um, we went to, Queen Canyon and Skull Rock, which I thought was actually a really great intro to Kofa. I'd mm -hmm. love to hear kind of like what your first take on, on it when we went there. Cause you'd never been down here and I'm not sure you knew what to expect. No, I think, you know, and you're right. I think when we first started coming in, I'm like, Oh crap, look at all these, you know, people that are out here. So I was hoping for more of a wilderness experience, but we, you know, we, we found our way in to uh, the Skull Rock area and it was, it was breathtaking. You know, there's, it's uh, the first area was very canyony and, you know, beautiful mountains. And, mm -hmm. you know, like you said, the weather was perfect. So it was a great entryway into the, into the route because it sort of got our feet wet. You know, the thing that was really interesting, and I'm sure we'll talk more about this is that there seemed like there's a, a lot of variety, a lot more variety of, of, of topography than I expected. You know, we had the, initially we had those, those high mountains around Skull Rock mm -hmm. and then sort of it changed from there on. So it was a great way to sort of get our feet wet. And, and, uh, but then again, somebody else was at, at Skull Rock. So I was hoping to, to experience that myself, but yeah, that's fine. They were cool people and we were happy to see them. Yeah. So once we got up to Skull Rock, which is in uh, Queen Canyon, 
um, surrounded by some really cool rock formations, <laughs> cliffs, some cool mountains and stuff like that. Uh, we arrived. Somebody was actually, as John had said, they were camping inside of Skull Rock. So they had their tent there. Uh, they had all their supplies in there. Uh, they were gracious enough to let my five-year-old go and check it out. And then they went somewhere up the trail. Um, I've never been, we, we didn't go to the end of the trail. Um, they were gone for quite a time. I think it just dead ends back there, but I, I would have loved to have checked it out. So after that, we head back to this really cool uh, rock labyrinth, uh, Daniel and, and myself, uh, I, you were probably bored because we launched the drones because we were outside <laughs> of the boundary. Just so you know, uh, because it's the National Wildlife Refuge, they do not permit drones or unmanned aircraft um, within their boundaries. So once we went past that boundary, we launched them, we got some really cool pictures, uh, and then we headed back up the highway. And I think it was Valve to Road uh, if it serves correctly that we went up and, and basically we just looked for a campsite. Mm -hmm. And I thought what was really nice at that point, it was similar to Queen Canyon, but it was definitely more open, mm -hmm. right? You kind of had that one big plane. And then on our other side, you had the bluffs there kind of with the, with the sun setting. Um, I, I thought it was a great spot. I was really happy with the first night. Yeah. The first night was, was gorgeous. And, uh, you know, the sunset and the, the rocks, you know, the changing colors. And it was, I couldn't think of a perfect spot to do our first night, especially after that. Well, our, our second night really, but our, our, uh, our first night in the, in Kofa. Yeah. And, and once we hit that, I think, um, did we pass anybody on the way out there? I don't think we did right from the time that we got back on dirt until we found our campsite. I don't think we passed anybody for like those, no, I think we only went like maybe seven miles or whatever, but it was getting late. And I think everybody just wanted to set up camp and have dinner yeah. and, and crack, crack open a cold one for those. Yeah, it was really, it was what I was looking for the, you know, the, the wilderness yeah. piece. So there wasn't anybody that first day, which is great. Yeah. So totally different experience. Once we got up to valve Two road, there was nobody there. There was no mm -hmm. RVs. There was nothing. It was totally the opposite of what you would see out in queen Canyon, which is just like snowbirds everywhere within the first two miles. Once you right. kind of get on, on the rocky stuff, definitely not as many people. Um, so we set up camp. We had a good dinner. I know Daniel and I had a few beers. Uh, the sunset was really nice though. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, it was tremendous. And, and, you know, like you said, it just, it just set up the whole trip and, and those kinds of things are like a night like that sort of brings you down and resets your, you know, your, your stress level and kind totally. of just kind of prepares you for the rest of the time. And that was exactly, I think what we needed that night. Yeah. Especially, I mean, the day before for, for all of us was just like drive, 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 right. get into Palm Springs. It's dark. You're trying to go to a campsite that you're not familiar with. Right. It's just a lot less stressful to find your campsite, know what you're getting into being able mm -hmm. to enjoy, relax. And, and then let's talk about the desert sunsets. Oh gosh. I mean, that's, uh, it is, it's, it's glorious. It's super close to heaven. I mean, yeah. you know, the, the shades of colors and the way, you know, everything changes. And we had a lot of, uh, because I think we were in the, um, the area where there's a lot of military bases. There seemed to be a lot of contrails, um, which was interesting because it, it really gave a different texture to the sky as the sun was setting. And, and I really kind of enjoyed that. It was, you know, the trippy thing was, is you remember when we started hearing, when we got a little closer, we started hearing the, the artillery going off too, which is a, that's a whole nother experience. But yeah, the desert sky is, um, 
is amazing. And uh, it's, it's, I feel like I'm always drawn back to the desert, uh, primarily because of the peace that, that the, the sunsets and the sunrises give you. Yeah. There, and the, it always seems to have these amazing clouds and, and these pink and orange hues, yeah. whether it's sunset or sunrise. And that really, like you said, kind of set the stage. So day two is what we'll call it um, on the trail. We wake up, we go out. Uh, and we, we actually, we thought initially we didn't have any neighbors in the vicinity. Well, it turns out about a half mile up the road, there was right. somebody in like an, an F-150 in a camp or whatever, and they had a nice little spot. But after that, I don't think we saw anybody for a while, right? D did we see anybody else that day? I, I don't know if we did. That might've been the only person that we saw that day. I think we might've saw some side-by-sides at the very end of the day. Um, Maybe. Ah, uh, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because that, okay, so I remember what we did. So yeah. for those of you that are kind of wondering about the train, there's actually a lot of washes that you drive through, um, way more than I had anticipated. And you get a little bit of everything. You get kind of this deep gravelly sand that you got to kind of power through because it, it sucks you down. But then we also hit some some te technical sections uh, within the wash, which is probably the impetus behind you making the decision to, to get sliders, I bet, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, I love the washes. I, you know, I would, I would have hated it on a motorcycle. Um, it just would have been brutal on a, on a dual sport, but yeah, um, that unless, be, you, unless you had a, the right tires, but, um, but yeah, the, the washes were so much fun because we can make up time and just slide around and it really felt, it was fun driving. It was kind of, we we're kind of jamming our way through there and it was, it was super mm -hmm. cool. But then, you know, we'd come out of those washes you know, on occasion and drop up top and then drop back in. And that's where it got really rocky and got really sketchy. You know, and I, I, um, I'm so thankful that I had a locker, um, you know, in the TRD because I, there's a couple spots I wouldn't have made it without it, without the rear locker. And, uh, you know, so that, that's something for people, I think, to remember that, you know, if you, if you don't have the right equipment, even, even at a base level, like I have, it's, it's going to be a little bit of trouble in there. Yeah. And just to add some, some perspective for that, as we said at the beginning, John has a long bed, extra cab in his Tacoma. So it, it's a pretty long wheelbase. Um, for me, I'm in a, I'm in an LX570, which is basically the Lexus version of a Land Cruiser 200. Um, I was in, in four high and I, ma I made it through there sign, made it through there fine. Um, so, you know, if, if you have long wheelbase, you're probably going to need a locker to maybe get through that one section or just pick the right line. But if you were in something like a forerunner or a Jeep, you'll probably make it through there fine. Um, yeah. In four. Yeah. I, like I think that. you're a little taller than me too. You're, you have a little more ground yeah. clearance. So I think yeah. that was helpful too. I had to be a little <laughs> careful. You know, the, I was looking back at some of the videos and, and uh, <laughs> I was watching me going over some of those things. And I'm like, man, those rocks are sharp. So that, yeah, yeah so that was, that was a trip, you know, and, and thankfully Daniel, you know, he's so experienced that he was able to sort of guide me through that. But the truck, uh, all in all, I, yeah, I'm super happy with the way that the Tacoma handled that. I, I was, you know, I, I, I got to get the right equipment for sure. But, um, but the truck handled itself pretty well. I think once yeah. I get the rock sliders and once I get the, the, the better skid plate, I think, uh, I, I would feel much more comfortable in there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was definitely a, a tight squeeze and I was even nervous a little bit because <laughs> I saw your undercarriage yeah. like right there. Yeah. But you know, like, like you said with uh, Daniel spotting you, you know, you got a good spotter telling you which line to take. It, it makes a world of difference. No, absolutely. Really I was by myself. Yikes. You know, that yeah. would have been rough. 
Yeah. Yeah. I will say this. If you have a sprinter four by four, don't do the interior of this route. You could go no. visit like Queen Canyon and stuff, but you're going to struggle on some of these things. Uh, if yeah. you had like a, a Ford Econoliner four by four Quigley, you're probably fine, but don't take the sprinter. You're also going to get it pinstriped to hell too, because some of these, these roads are a little bit tight. I got some pinstripes. I will say that. <laughs> so we were in the bushes a lot. Um, we did. So, but you know, that's what it is. That's what it's all yeah. about. A lot of mesquite. So we get through the wash. Uh, we are traveling a little bit slower than I think I had anticipated, which is probably why we were gunning it in parts of the wash. And it was fun to do too. And there was nobody mm -hmm. around. Um, and we get to the Wilbanks cabin. And mm -hmm. so do you, do you remember the Wilbanks cabin? I think so. That's the one where uh, the hunters were at. Oh, right? wait, wait. I'm sorry. We went to the Kofa cabin first. Yeah. We went to two cabins this day. And then we, we did, went yeah. to the wash after. So right. we went to the Kofa cabin. That one that one was kind of cool. I forget what the background on, on that was. Was it built by the CCC, I think, in the 30s as well or something like that? I think that's the first one. Yeah, it was a CCC one. And and it had a, you know, you can, it's first come, first serve. So you can just open yeah. the door and crash here if you want. I don't know that I, I'd rather crash in the in the truck but it's there you yeah know, if, you get cold, if it's super cold i mean it's it's an opportunity it's a situation so yeah so there's a number of homesteads out there uh and i think at least three or maybe four cabins as john said you can you can actually go inside of all of them you could camp in them if you want i believe this first one actually had a wood furnace right i don't remember but it, it likely might have yeah and this one had a stone kind of stone outside. Mm -hmm. The other ones were made of wood, um, but like lots of rat droppings and other stuff. I'm not sure I would want to stay in there unless like you said, it was like 10 degrees out or something like that. Right. I'd rather opt stay in, in the truck or the tent or something like that. Absolutely. Yeah. But it's cool cool. to see the old buildings. You know, it's amazing throughout the whole time. I was shocked by the homesteads. And I mean, the people that would go out there in the 1800s and, you know, in the yeah. desert and, and carve out a piece of land and property and build those stone things. I mean, that they were, they were real tough people. Yeah. It's really impressive. So you have homesteads, you have old mining cabins. We'll talk a little bit about some of that mining history as we get to that portion of the route. So we hit the wash. That was fun. It was mm -hmm. slow going a little bit stressful. And then we got to the Wilbanks cabin. Right. And we didn't get to go inside of that one because we actually encountered somebody that, that was camping there as well. So I think that was like our first or second person we had seen that day to just yeah. put this in perspective the day before going out to skull rock, at least the first two miles, we were probably passing five vehicles per mile or something like that. Mostly mm -hmm. just camping out there this day. I think we encountered two, maybe three, groups the entire day um yeah and these yeah i think it was it was hunting season so yeah. i know we saw some carcasses and such from i think quail um yeah. and then and then the wilbanks cabin there was it, they looked like they were hunters to me so um so i think that's the only people we saw out there were, were folks hunting yeah that's right because there was that little like atv or side by side and they mm -hmm. were uh we had encountered them on the wash and they were kind of driving slow and they were in camo so that mm -hmm. that would definitely make sense and i kind of saw them going out after dark as well so we decided even though I, I think i proposed i said why don't we go camp over there you said no 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 let's let's just give them their space and that was probably the right call uh we drove back up towards the main road and we got a nice little spot that again 
had a really great view one side mm -hmm. of the mountains and then like so many places in the desert especially in in arizona in the sonoran desert you have mountains or bluffs here and then just a big expansive flat area and that's kind of what we uh what we camped in again yeah it was uh and i loved both of those and and the, the beauty of i think all all the spots we camped is it's pretty level so you know we didn't have issues with you know trying to have to level out the, the rigs so that we can get a decent night's sleep. So it was nice to have that kind of that kind of area. Very rocky for sure. Um, and then we, you know, every spot we stayed in, if I remember right, there was a, a fire ring already established. So it had been a place where people had been. Yeah, and that, that was definitely nice to have a, a fire ring. You know, California being hit so hard with the forest fires in 2020, um, obviously couldn't go to a lot of places for later this summer because they were closed and when that it opened uh, if you wanted to do primitive camping it, it was cold camping it was no no fires allowed so that that was nice for me at least um so night two we stayed over by the hoodoo cabin and i can't remember if on my camera I got some really great pictures of the sunset this night. I think we got the clouds and everything going on and then the sunrise as well. Just awesome. Both ways. It's it was glorious. Cause, cause the, like you said, there was really on, you, you could see everything. So there was nothing sort of obstructing views on, on certain parts. I mean, obviously the bluffs are on one side, but, but that open expanse area is just tremendous. So it's, it was really a photographer's dream to be out there. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I need to up my photography game. You know, there's just so many opportunities out there. And we did have the coyotes that night, I think. Right? Yeah. The coyotes yeah. were howling that night. And that's yeah. always, that's always such a treat. The yeah, thing Thomas that, enjoyed that. I <laughs> got a little scared <laughs> of it too, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, the thing that I find amazing, you find these jackrabbits and obviously coyotes and other animals. I saw a mule deer at one point running around the forest. And you have this, this chola cacti or teddy bear cactus. And if you get anywhere remotely near it, I think you actually managed to avoid it. Uh, the first day when I was trying to film you guys, I barely brushed against a little nub on the ground and just stuck in my hiking boot. And then I Those got another one. They're off. They're no, they're yeah. no joke, man. They just yeah. they grab onto you. And it's like, they you know, remember that it went through your shoe. It did. Yeah. And, luckily uh, yeah. I didn't, yeah. it didn't get me too bad, but it went straight through my Vibram sole on my hiking boot. Like nothing. Right. Yeah. yeah, crazy, crazy, sharp, sharp. So, and I think what did we say? One of the animals eat those. Uh, was it the uh, the bighorn sheep? Will eat the cactus, uh, right? I don't know which cacti they eat. I, I can't imagine they would eat that one. That yeah. that stuff is something Brutal. else. Yeah. yeah. But you avoided yeah. it, right? Oh, I did. I, I watched you and Daniel struggle, and I'm like, I'm I'm avoiding this like a plague. <laughs> But it made me wonder, like, what happens if you run over that? I mean, if it catches your tire in the right way, and if it could go through your vibrant shoe, it could go through a tire, you know? I think our tires are okay. You know, yeah. at least I, I have a Timply tire, you know, with yeah. a pretty heavy load and, and all the different things. I think it's pretty difficult, especially all, all through that. But if you had some bald <laughs> Honda Civic tires, yeah, I don't know. I wouldn't, I wouldn't test it. Um, I, I was honestly worried about Thomas stepping on it and not paying attention because that yeah. was going to be a fiasco. Luckily, that didn't happen. Yeah, it's true. Day three, we're back on the road again. This is kind mm -hmm. of the name of the game. We're getting camp. We're going like 50, 60 miles every day. And um, I think we made some really good time this day. 
And part of the reason was that we kind of went up to the north northeast quadrant of right. Kofa and we actually left uh, the refuge for a little bit. And we hit some um, some big, wide, graded, kind of like county roads. And yeah. we're going pretty fast on them. I think I was going like 45 on them or something right. like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, you were nervous that, about not making the – I think we – I think you were happy after we made up some time that day because we were we were kind of slogging along before that. Yeah, I mean it is what it is. That's that's how it goes. Obviously, we'd like to try to do as much as we can within the route, but um, you know, things happen. People get flat tires. Uh, you encounter stuff that slows you down. Somebody mm -hmm. breaks down. We'll talk about that later too. <laughs> yeah, we will. <laughs> yes. Um, so yeah, we hit some county roads that, and we got cell phone service again. That was so, one of the interesting yeah. things. Yeah. Did we have cell phone? We, we had, had cell phone first service day. the first night, which was really yeah. weird because there was nobody around. We just felt like we were in the middle of nowhere. We had 5G, which I was shocked. It was fast. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah, it was it great. It kind of sucked because all of us were looking at our phones, <laughs> you know, instead of well, talking to yeah. each other. <laughs> ah, for a little bit. Yeah. yeah Thomas was definitely like watching Netflix and whatever else he was doing. Up yeah. He was kind of torqued when we didn't have a help cell service and he had to like, he couldn't get Netflix in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's kids. like freaking iPad and the internet is like crack for kids, man. As soon as you give it to them and you tell them it's not there, sure. game over. Um, so we hit those county roads and that just reminded me that I got cell service again and I called my wife and called my mother-in-law so my son could talk to him and hit both of his grandmas and they were really happy to call him. And then we kind of looped back around and I thought we kind of went through kind of a different zone. Mm -hmm. um, it kind of had those big volcanic black buttes with the mm -hmm. black rock and everything like that. And we kind of had a, a pre-lunch break and everything. And we flew the drones for a little bit again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And again, that's what I was talking about, like the difference in, in uh, topography. I mean, that's, it was completely, you know, different in terms of the black rock and such lava, more the lava flow stuff yeah. in the first, first day, first couple of days. Yeah, and what I would say about that section, it definitely has a different feel to it. But if you were pressed for time, I might cut that section out and just kind of skip skip those roads altogether and just kind of stick to the main route. You probably save yourself half a day or something. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but unless you need to check in at home, it's a good spot to go. That's true, right? Yeah. But you always have the first campsite too. But yeah, absolutely. That's true. Um, and then we got over to the Hovader, Hovader homestead. You remember that one with the little saguaro cacti that were lined up in the uh yeah that was fascinating that was interesting yeah and i it, it must have been a beautiful spot at one time because it you know they, clearly they had done landscaping and there was a lot of care mm -hmm. and intent put into that it was it was a trip to roll up on that in the middle of nowhere so it, yeah it was almost like they were trying to build a resort there or something like that some kind of a totally. place to place to host people but uh it was it was interesting yeah, so basically, uh, there's no cabin or homestead or anything there. It's just the site of where the home was. Um, but they have their driveway that's this little, like, half loop, circle. Yeah, yeah. And then there's saguaro cactus on yeah. both sides lining it. it it's, it's really cool. It's kind of like you go through it, and you're expecting to see something, but unfortunately, not, nothing's there. It, yeah. It's kind of a yeah. cool experience, though. And yeah. then not too far from that... I'm trying to, I'm trying to remember, I wrote all my notes down and obviously some of the things that are coming back to me are, are not agreeing with what my notes say, but I think we, um, I think we went into the mountains that day, right? Into surpass. Was that a really nice? Yeah. 
Yeah, we did right? head up and hit the altitude. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't that high in general. And then I remember, I remember a lot of washes uh, also yep. after we came down the other side. Yeah, we were in a wash for a while, so we got up into the mountains again. Not not super high elevation. I think we were like two thousand feet up or something right. like that. And right. then uh, we had these awesome buttes and cliffs all mm -hmm. around us on every side. And I think uh, because we were in this wash, there was nowhere to camp. And I said, "Well, I don't want to camp in a wash just in case there's like a thunderstorm or something like that." So we were right. looking for somewhere to camp, and uh, we found a nice little camp. Mm -hmm. You want to yeah. talk about like what you thought about that? I think you said it was your favorite spot, wasn't it? That third spot? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It was just off a wash. It was a couple feet above the, the wash. Uh, and somebody had a camp there before. There's a fire ring, but it was, um, it was just, it was out again. I keep using the same words, but it's the reality of the situation. It was stunning. It was yeah. probably my favorite spot also. Um, you know, I, I got sunset pictures. I did the uh, time-lapse uh, photo mm -hmm. there and it just, was uh was really breathtaking uh, to be there and it, it really felt uh protected too which was really kind of great um because it was sort of it it was tucked in a little bit but not um not super exposed and a little bit off the walk you know the wash in the road there but uh yeah it was great didn't hear any coyotes but it was a it was an it was an amazing place to be for the evening i, I was a little bit nervous because we we had a little bit of a more than a breeze, but some wind kind of coming through on and off in the evening. And I was hoping we weren't going to get another situation like we had in Palm Springs where it was just blowing for 20, 30 miles an hour for like four hours at a time. Yeah. I was worried too. And I, I, I was happy when it, after the sun went down, it actually died down, which yeah. you know, in the desert obviously goes the other direction sometimes. Yeah. So to just put a little perspective of, of how this particular camp spot is different than the other ones, a lot of the other ones that we camped at or, or the two previous ones had kind of bluffs or mountains on one side and then a big open expanse. This side, we were actually up in the mountains. So we had like a butte here, a really cool butte off in the distance, some smaller buttes here, and then just kind yeah. of in this nice little cradle. Mm -hmm. And I know I was looking for bighorn sheep, but I didn't see any, unfortunately, Super but it just, seemed like the, it just seemed like the perfect space where they might yeah. be, right? Like you had yeah. these big cliffs and mountains yeah. going up like a thousand feet. So, yeah, that mountain was amazing. I took some, I took a lot of pictures of that that mountain, and because it, it, it the colors that changed as the sunset was amazing. But I was looking for the sheep too. I was hoping to see some, but uh, oh, they were hiding from us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, if you guys want to check it out, that's on Ingesur or Ingesur Pass. Uh, you'll be in the wash. And when you get to the top, you'll know what we're talking about. You'll see these right. mountains and these buttes all around you. Just look for a place to camp. It's second to none. It's, it's really mm -hmm. spectacular. So we camp there. I think we all got some really great time lapses, photos, other stuff, a good night hanging out by the fire. And then day four, which is kind of our, our final day right. in Kofa. Um, I know Daniel was definitely a little bit nervous. He was a little bit lower on gas right. uh, than both of us. And mm -hmm. that kind of made us nervous. I had already put three and a half gallons into my tank, not because I needed to, just because I wanted to top off a little. Uh, but just knowing that he had five gallons, I had three and a half, you had five. Um, you know, I think we decided that we were probably going to cut out the last leg. And we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, but basically there's a final leg that goes up to, I think it's big eye mine. And mm -hmm. I don't even know if it was open. It, they close it from time to time because when they're doing artillery testing down at Yuma proving ground and stuff like that. Uh, but it's, it's up a, a rocky Jeep trail, you know, you're yeah. climbing elevation. So 
uh, me and Daniel with the big V8s are going to be slurping up the gas. Uh, and just, I think, I think by that time we were probably content with the experience that we got and, and everything like that. And we just didn't want to push it. So we had, yeah, I think out, it was like 10 in and 10 back, right? 10 miles in, 10 miles back. Or something more. like that. Yeah. 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 It wasn't, it wasn't a, a, a little loop around. It was a, it was a commitment. <laughs> so Yeah. It was going to be yeah. probably three hours minimum, if yeah. not four hours up there and back, which is uh, more than half a day usually. Mm-hmm. So we head out. Uh, and then I think the, the cool thing about this final leg is we got to see a number of the defunct mines as well mm-hmm. as some active mines too. Um, you yeah. seem to really enjoy that part. I'll, I'll let you kind of talk about your experience about that. Yeah, I love that kind of stuff. You know, I both of the defunct ones and the uh, and the active ones. On the left, there was a there was an active one. Um, I forget the name of that. Was it the Kofo one? I forget what which one that was. So we went up to the Kofo. We went to one that wasn't on the map originally. We drove out there and we got to the stop sign that says "Patrolled by Armed Guard." Totally right. expected in in Arizona. Right, and that's <laughs> where we saw the. Um, the graveyard of the miners. We came back around and then we went to the grave. Yeah. They were all kind of in the same vicinity, but yeah, yeah we checked out the old uh, pioneer cemetery, which was cool too. Yeah, that was cool. And then we, you know, we drove by the other mine. So the, we passed the active mine and went to the, um, to the defunct mine. Uh, we were able to go in and crawl into the miners cabin that was there. It was, it was open and they had, it had some interesting signage and things telling about, you know, when they were there and, and that, and, uh, it was really fascinating to see, um, you know, you could to see the, you could see where they went into the, um, went into the mountain and, and you could see the slurry kind of the, mm-hmm. the big piles of slurry there. And, and it obviously had a, had a lot going on there uh, at one time. It was uh, quartzite, I think was what they were mining there. If I remember right. Um, quartzite gold, uh, yeah. some other stuff too. I assume the gold comes with the quartzite and stuff yeah. like that. Um, so that was the Antares mining cabin. I was a little bit surprised they let, I, I felt like that one, somebody was going to put their foot through the floor sometime soon. Yeah, it was pretty and rough. It, yeah. Yeah. I, 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 out of all the cabins we went to, that's the last one I think I would camp in unless it was like <laughs> 10 below or something like that. Yeah. But if you um, remember the, the history, um, I think they said there was two or 3,000 people that were in that spot at one time. Or so 1,500. It was, it was, it was yeah, a lot was, though it was a full on city right there at one point, you know, or a big town. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so they must've been pulling a lot of, uh, a lot of money out of that mine to have that many people there. Um, and you can see the old, you know, some of the, um, you know, the pipes for the water and such that were still in the ground and all rusted out obviously, but you can see where it was. So, so some of the infrastructure was still there. And so it's that kind of stuff is really fascinating to me, uh, specifically to see how they were doing things, you know, 75 years mm-hmm. ago, you know, pretty amazing. Yeah without any air conditioning, how do you get water? Right. We're so wimpy um, now. <laughs> you know, we're so wimpy. But yeah. Those, yeah. They were real, uh, real tough people. Yeah. It, yeah. It's, it's impressive. You know, you see these old ghost towns in places like death Valley and I'm like, we don't go traveling there in right. our rigs that have air conditioning in the middle right. of summer. And they yeah. were working out there and living out there. And it's, it's, it's something else. It's something yeah. else. Yeah. Like you said, we've become soft. Um, <laughs> yeah, there was a number, I think there was like an evening star mine. There was a North star mine, which were the two right there. There was the Kofa, the King of Arizona mine that we passed. I can't remember all of their names. And then we kind of passed that. It looked like it was an active mine settlement. I couldn't tell if anybody was active there, but it looked like people had been there recently and it was 
funky. <laughs> yeah, I saw <laughs> right? some like mo modern cars. I mean, there were you know newer cars that were up there, and so obviously there was activity. I didn't see it, like you said, I didn't see anybody working there at that time, but they all might have been in the mine at that point. Yeah, I mean, who yeah. knows? But there was a you know clearly there was a headquarters there, and and it was blocked off. So there was a, they're they're pulling stuff out of there still, which is cool. Yeah, you know I. I wish we we could have talked to one of those people. I think we kind of uh, we hypothesized that maybe they went home for Thanksgiving or something like that. But <laughs> yeah. I would love to know, like, what is it like living out here? You know, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something else. So we passed the mines. Uh, we talked about the active mining settlement, and then I think our final leg of the trip, at least before we got to the Yuma Proving Ground, was we went across that big expansive plain mm -hmm. kind of between these these you know arizona is kind of known for these sky islands you have these small mountain ranges that just stick up out of these plains mm -hmm. and that's definitely what you have in kofa so we kind of made our way across this valley that's maybe like 10 15 miles across to another mountain range mm -hmm. and i go on the walkie talkie and i'm like hey guys do you see that that thing over there in the distance it's not moving and at first you yeah. guys were like, what are you talking about? Yeah. And then we get close and you're like, oh yeah, there is something floating out there. Yeah. I was properly freaked out at that point. I'm like, <laughs> okay, are we like, we're in the middle of nowhere. Are we getting a UFO experience going on here? Cause it was, it, it seemed really out of place. Just this yeah. thing in the sky. And we found out what it was later, but yeah. And we'll talk about that in a second. I think I, I yeah. told you my UFO experience one of the you nights did. before, right? Yes, I did. Yeah. And so then that so thing appeared. <laughs> <laughs> I was tripping, yeah. man. I'm like, yo. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I planted it there. It was all planned. Um, <laughs> I think I actually saw it on the first day. I remember seeing something out there and I was like, it looks like a big, one of those big, like, uh, is it a C5? I used to know all my military planes. Now I can't remember, like a C5 Galaxy, like the super mm -hmm. big cargo one. Mm -hmm. And I saw it out there. That's what it looked like. It had this big silhouette, but it wasn't moving. And yeah. I forgot about it because obviously with everything else going on in the desert sunsets, I, I just forgot about it. Then I saw it again. I was like, hey, there's that thing again. W what the heck is it? Yeah. And we'll, we'll talk about what it is as we kind of make our way through there. But there, there is a, there is a, a conclusion to this and rationale <laughs> and it's not a UFO or anything like that. I thought it was a Chinook, you know, just because <laughs> it was hovering. So I'm thinking, well, maybe yeah. it's a big you know, a big helicopter, but then it hovered for like, I don't know where we're probably an hour and a half. Yeah. I'm like, no, that's not, <laughs> there's something else going on here. Yeah. And then, so the, the final leg of the route that we did, at least we went through, uh, I guess they're called the Castle Dome Mountains. So we came out mm -hmm. of the plains, we were hitting some really fast, uh, kind of like graded County roads again, making really good time. And I was like, sweet, we're going to get over there super fast. Now here's the thing about Kofa. You hit these roads and on the map, it looks like you're going to make decent time, but because of all the desert washes, you're going up and down and up and mm -hmm. down and breaking and dipping. And we kind of hit that for like, I don't know, 10, 15 miles or whatever. I think we yeah. got through it in like an hour. And then we were, we were back in the mountains again and yep. really beautiful again. Yeah. I love that section. I was looking back at some of my pictures. It was, um, again, it was a, it was a unique, it, it was another unique sort of topography it had you know, two mountains on both sides. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, I got some really great pictures of that spot. It was look almost like a little valley for a while. And then we dropped back yeah. in and it was, uh, it, yeah, another, another breathtaking kind of unique area in that, in that Kofa. Yeah. Really, really spectacular. Um, and then we start to see this UFO as we'll call it. Cause we didn't know what the <laughs> heck it was. And they were like, yeah. it looks like a blimp. 
but it's not moving. It's just, it's just sitting there. So it was kind of like, well, what, what's going on? Maybe it's tied to uh, the human proving ground, which is that, mm-hmm. is that the army? Do you know which branch of the military runs? Army. That? Yeah, it's army. It's army. Yeah. I think you did some background on it too, right? A little bit. Yeah. Reading. So yeah, it was, you know, the funny thing, it was, it was part of a larger um, structure for training um, patent trained uh, the second army out there before World mm-hmm. War II. That's kind of, well, it, it actually, the history really goes back to the 1800s and before, but really it kind of kicked up during, during patent. And then it became um, one of the premier proving grounds in the world. So like, you know, Jap- Japan and NATO allies will send people there because it's so big and so vast and so varied terrain that you can, you can test vehicles. You can obviously test mortars and, and large, uh, large artillery and helicopters. So what I read was ev- everything now that the military does um, is, uh, you know, in terms of artillery and those kinds of things are tested there. So it's a pretty important, there. Wow. yeah, it's a pretty important spot in our, in our uh, national uh, defense. Yeah, that's that's impressive, and we'd we'd heard some of the artillery going off. I think even the day, was it that day or was it the day before? I think it was the day before. Yeah, so you can hear this stuff well over ten miles away, going yeah. over mountain ranges. I mean, it's not gonna. You have to sit there and listen for it, right? It's not right. gonna like startle you or anything like that, or ruin your wilderness experience. But you will hear a boom, 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 boom. Yeah, it's like pretty that. cool. Yeah, it's yeah. almost like distant thunder in some ways, but yeah. it's it's super cool. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So the final leg of this route, we get through the mountains. Um, we were kind of debating if we were going to go to the Castledome Mine Museum. We opted not to do it just because I think uh, we knew we had a long drive ahead of us and we had to get back to the Bay Area. And we kind of decided, uh, you know, originally I thought we were going to stay in Kofa that night. We opted to get back towards like Palm mm-hmm. Springs and then figure out where we wanted to go from there. Uh, we had We had lunch. We saw some lady walking through the desert, which was kind of weird. Um, yeah, it was really weird. That, yeah. Her car was parked a mile away and she said she was okay. So whatever, you know, desert rat. Um, and then we got to go, we actually went to the Yuma Proving Ground. Um, we did, yeah. Thomas, Thomas loved it. You want to talk about it? Yeah, it was it was awesome. So they've got this, you know, before you get into the gates, the official gates, they have a, a tank museum there. And, uh, you know, they've got everything from some modern stuff to like a Sherman tank from World War II. And you can yeah. get up close and personal with it and take a lot of, you can't climb on them, but you can, you know, see it was a, you know, it was a, a really cool part of our history. And just the, I, I, who know that there were that many varied kinds of tanks, you know, I didn't know that. So mm-hmm. I learned some stuff. They had some artillery pieces there too. That was cool. Some rockets and uh, just a super kind of neat place to go and, and see some of our history and some of our, you know, military stuff. Yeah, I would definitely recommend checking out. It, it's actually an open air museum. So you just pull up to the parking lot and mm-hmm. everything is right there sitting on concrete paths. There's like 20 different displays from tanks to heavy artillery, old missiles and, and missile launchers. So it's yeah. it's a really cool thing to check out. Yeah, it's totally worth stopping by there if you're out that area. So I forgot to mention on our way to the proving ground, Thomas discovered this, uh, a giant tether or a leash as he called it going up into the sky, going up to, to that blimp. So it turns out, let me find the name of this. It is on the proving grounds. And I actually looked this up today. I think it's called an aerostat balloon and it, it, it sits up there at, at 15,000 feet via its tether. And there's actually six of them that are along the border down there. And it's the Department of Homeland Security that uses it to monitor the border and low-flying aircraft, you know, people right. trying, 
probably going across the border and making a drop of drugs or whatever. Um, so that's what they're used for. I thought that was interesting and, and pretty cool. Yeah, I was surprised that they'd put something like that right in the middle of the proving ground. Um, yeah. But I, you know, we initially thought it might be an observation post, you know, some cameras up there just to see what was going for the for the proving ground itself. But yeah, it's uh, part of the homeland security piece, and and uh, yeah, it was it was uh, it's fascinating to see that. I've never yeah. seen anything like that before. I know. Yeah, it was it was really interesting. So we do we do the route. We decide we're not going to go up to Big Eye Mine. We're just a little bit too low on gas, and we decide we want to head back to the Bay Area. I think we should tell kind of tell the viewers about our final experience before we all head home. Uh, we decide uh, we're going to go up to Anza Borrego and try to find a, a place to camp. We get a burrito in Salton City. Great. That place was legit, City. by the way. I don't know what the name of it was, but you should stop there. Oh, <laughs> yeah. It's basically the only place, uh, which I yeah. find ironic, that serves other than Taco Bell, which I'm really glad we didn't go there. And we went to Man, this I love some Taco Bell. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> if I if I can get that legit Mexican food, I'm gonna <laughs> go with that every single day, every single day. <laughs> yeah, but that that place was cool—a little family-run joint, and you know, and, and they were super sweet, and the food was just really good. I was really impressed. Yeah, yeah, some hot yeah. salsa too. Yeah, I yeah, didn't realize I didn't realize it was that hot, and then I was like sweating everywhere, and you know, <laughs> I just I'm just a glutton for punishment, I guess. Yeah. Um. So. We figure out we got Eye Overlander open and we're like, well, where are we going to camp in Anza Borrego? Should we go here? And we, we plotted out like three different spots. I think you found something that looked legit. And we said, let's let's do it. So you're leading the way. Yep. You have yeah, a 2018 so we, Tacoma. Yep. yep. What happens? We, well, we crossed the, we head out towards Anza Borrego and, and there's a little, um, a truck stop right there. As soon as I hit the truck stop, my, my truck started acting funky. And I got an error message that came up that said, you're pressing the brake and the gas simultaneously. And I'm like, what? So, and it, and it just would stop. It would go like one mile an hour. So I had to pull over real quick and we, you know, we were scratching our head. Now I'm freaked out at this point because it's like, we're 500 miles from home. It's, mm -hmm. the, it's, it's, you know, the day before Thanksgiving Eve. So we're trying to yep. get home, you know, to our families and they're, they're all obviously all anxious to see us. And, uh, and we were just, it wouldn't go anywhere. So, I mean, Thomas has got a little more mechanic experience, I think, than, than I do. But um, Thomas? We're, or not, not yeah. Thomas. <laughs> I was like, Daniel. he hasn't thrown that to me. <laughs> <laughs> no, Daniel, sorry. Um, and uh, so we're trying to figure out, like, what is going on? Is it the analog brake system? Is it what, you know, we're pulling fuses? We're, and we're just, and I'm thinking, like, crap. Okay, I'm going to have to call AAA. The nearest dealer was Indio. So that's like yeah. 40, 50 miles away. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think we were in Brawley. I think that's the town we we're in. Um, so, you know, we're all scratching our heads. So we're all jumping on our phones. And I got on a, a Tacoma web, uh, uh, forum and just start like cruising around it. And there was at the bottom of a long string of messages was one guy that said, oh, uh, I just had this weird thing happen. If, uh, if you blow out a taillight, it'll just jack the whole system. So I was like, oh, thank the Lord. So we, you know. Because your, your taillight went out. We knew that, right? My taillight went out. Yeah. yeah. So so I knew there was a problem there, but I'd never experienced a car that had a taillight yeah. going out that would just totally disable the freaking vehicle. And that's mm -hmm. craziness. So I'm, Toyota, if you're listening, you need to stop that. That's just bad news. But um, so. I don't we, think that's intentional. I, I, if I had to guess, like some, you know, the computer read something incorrectly and, and thought it was something that it isn't. And, but yeah, I agree. Well, they need since to fix then, that. I've got a couple, I posted up in a couple of places and other people have mentioned they had the same problem. 
Wow. So, so it is a toy. I think it is a Toyota thing. Um, mm. So, what we basically did is just pull the blown the blown bulb out, and it, and then everything worked again. So, yeah. but uh, it was a, uh, you know, if that would have happened in the middle of Kofa, we'd have been screwed, you know, because there was yeah the only way we found out was jumping on the internet, and there was obviously in most of the places we were at there was no cell service, so mm-hmm. that that kind of scared me a little bit because I was like, you know, I don't know, Toyota should I, that's something they got to look at because it's just crazy. Yeah. Yeah, so, that that is insane because, like you said, you literally could not drive out of there because you would you would apply the yeah. gas and then the brakes would just apply right. Basically, yeah, exactly. the ABS was going crazy. Yeah, you guys would have to try to pull me out of there. Ooh. I could imagine going through those washes and up those hills with a tow strap. You know, that oh would be God. brutal. Yeah. Well, you, so, but you, thankfully, you get it done. We, yeah, we would have, but thankfully, we got we figured it out. But you know, again, Toyota, hey, you guys, you know, that's no bueno. So. Yeah, I, 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 such such a weird one, right? Yeah. Like, what the hell? Um, so you know, I, you were basically saying, guys, go ahead. I'm gonna call my wife and my family, and I'll figure it out. And then, yeah, thank God we figured that out. You know, I'm telling you, you just gotta you just gotta be persistent. Times sometimes, yeah. yeah. So we get out to Anza Borrego. Or actually, I think we stayed in Ocotillo Wells is what we ended up staying in. We didn't try to get to Anza Borrego. Right. Oh my God. Like going from Kofa and, and, you know, having no neighbors for maybe, I would say when we stayed in the mountains at Ingesur Pass, our nearest Mm -hmm. neighbors might've been five miles away. Right. 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 To just RVs. Like oh, crazy side by sides everywhere. It was just like the, the total opposite, right? Yeah, it was like Times Square. I mean, it was obviously yeah. everyone was there for the Thanksgiving weekend. Yeah. And there were side, you know, and it, you know, the side by sides, but nighttime, you know, with the huge lights on the front, and they were just cruising through the, it looked like super fun, you know. But yeah. but it was uh it certainly weren't alone out there. It was a we did find a nice yeah. little spot that sort of tucked us away, which is good, and it didn't bother me too much, but I was a little worried there for a while. It's like, how, how crazy is this going to get tonight? <laughs> you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. And I think we made a smart choice of going up a little further out and got away from all that madness. And yeah. I got a good night's rest, uh, which mm-hmm. I always want when I'm going to be, you know, it was, it was a long drive home. It was. I think I got home at 530 the next day. Mm-hmm. So that was Kofa, you know, for somebody that has never been to Kofa or Southern Arizona, the Sonoran Desert what would you tell them about this particular route? Maybe why should they consider it? Well, the first is, is it's, you know, it's, it's pretty unknown. So it's, it's kind of virgin territory. I mean, we all know about the Mojave road and we know about Death Valley and places mm-hmm. in Joshua tree, places like that, but this is sort of off the radar and it's a, it's kind of a hidden gem. So, you know, I would say, you know, it's, it's a place that people should, we should probably all keep it quiet. So don't tell everybody you guys, but you know, it's, it's certainly a place you should go to. Um, because it's of, of just the nature of it. And if you want to get away from the craziness in Death Valley and some of the other places, um, this is a great, you know, uh, option. Um, you know, I'd say uh, don't go alone. You know, yeah. I think this is something, even if you have a, a better rig than what I had, um, there's just enough sketchiness there. I think you probably want to want to have somebody else with you just in case. Yeah. Um, and uh, take your time. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's really worth, I mean, the pace that we set to me was perfect. You know, we got up. Seven ish, had breakfast, packed up, you know, hit the trail around nine nine thirty, um, and then kind of tried to roll back in the trail by four and set up before dark. And that that pace was we took a good lunch break each day. You know, yeah. it's really a, a a doable sort of route without feeling like you're rushed and like crazy. Um, totally. 
Yeah, and I think, uh, and again, I think you know the right rig is important. Do not take your Subaru out there. You know, don't don't take your Sprinter van. Don't be mm-hmm. afraid of you know if you're afraid of pinstripes, then you probably shouldn't. This isn't this isn't your gig. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's a fabulous fabulous place. I would yeah. I would love to go back uh, again and do it again because I think I wouldn't be bored a second time. And uh, and maybe we just, maybe next time I'll see a uh, see a, a mountain goat or a bighorn sheep. Oh man, I hope so. You know, the one thing we didn't talk about before before we we conclude the episode, uh, we were talking about dual sport and everything. And I know you and I have talked, and the way that John and I actually met was actually on a tour that I led up in the Mendocino mm-hmm. National Forest, right? Unfortunately, before it freaking burned to the ground. Um, you are actually doing something similar on the dual sport side. So why don't you talk about that for a minute? Yeah. So, you know, you can uh, see what I'm doing at bigthumpers.com. Um, you know, and we, uh, you know, I started running some tours uh, and uh, taking folks out to uh, to some of the various places around here. Um, you know, we've done a lot up in, um, you know, locally here throughout Salinas Valley and up into mm-hmm. Big Sur and, and those areas like that, and even around the, the few areas in the Bay Area that you have, you have some dirt. Um, but, uh, you know, I had some plans to head back up into Mendocino, but then the fires hit and, you know, COVID is sort of, you know, um, keeping us grounded a little bit too, but yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, my, you know, the goal for big thumpers is really to similarly develop, uh, the community, um, and to, uh, and to get people into the out, out off the street and into the dirt and to experience, you know, the wilderness either, you know, in this case on a, on a motorcycle, but also on a truck and, yep. uh, and just, uh, you know, invest in, uh, you know, spend some time investing in, uh, the, the wilderness, you know, a big piece of what I'm really interested in is protecting open spaces. Um, both in terms of like environmentally protecting them, you know, making sure that we're, you know, we're spreading the word about, you know, you know, packing your stuff out and, you know, yeah. taking care of the wilderness where we're at, but also, uh, also, you know, protecting, you know, the ride, the places to go either in trucks or in motorcycles or wherever. Um, and, uh, so that we can uh, continue to use those, those open spaces as, uh, as playgrounds and, and appropriately as playgrounds. So, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, we're, we're starting to see some traction and, and people interested and, you know, I'm hoping to uh, continue to partner with Ben and 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 uh, build the community and ge- the dirt community in general, and and find those places of intersection and and common common areas where we can partner and and grow. You know, grow the community. Yeah, absolutely. And so that was BigThumpers.com, right? BigThumpers.com. And are you going to be doing any tours in 2021, or kind of where where do things stand yeah. right now? So, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, ideally I would love to, um, so I'm hoping to do at least, uh, you know, we're just getting off the ground, so I'm not trying to bite off more than I can chew. I have a day job, um, but, <laughs> like you do. Touche, touche. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I'd like to do, we're going to go up, we're going to try to go up and do the Mendocino, uh, uh, Usaw Beach and Shelter Cove route, oh, yeah. uh, after, after Christmas. And, uh, I'd like to go back up there with dual sports. I think that'd be an appropriate first kind of bigger yeah. trip for folks, um, a lot of people go to Usal Beach, but I, I, I'm really just in getting beyond that and up into the, some of the areas around there. So I'm going to try to do that after Christmas, and then, uh, and then we'll plan, uh, you know, some Big Sur. Right now, um, most of Big Sur is shut down. I was just down there on the bike uh, last week, and it's, uh, it's. I was, I was really shocked. I was down there in July, and we rode uh, South Coast Road, which is up off of Nascimento Ferguson and, and head south towards um, Goleta, I think it is. Um, and uh, it was beautiful. It was wonderful. But there were a lot of people up there. But since then, yeah. they shut it down to traffic um, just because there's too many people out there. If you've ever been to Pruitt Ridge, it's it's kind of a, 
uh, a crap show right now. There's just yeah. way too many people in cars and the cars were tearing up the road. Um, yeah. you know, and so, and then the fires hit, so you can't even go up Nassimant to Ferguson road right now. So the point is, is I think we're going to have to see how COVID sort of develops and how, um, you know, the fire seasons and how things go. So, so hopefully we can get back on big Sur. It's such a beautiful route up through that area. Yeah. There's some yeah. beautiful spots on the other side on the, um, all between the five and the one one in those mountains. It's super hot also, but so we'll we'll do a lot of local stuff around here in the Bay Area, and then uh, you know hopefully try to build some community and maybe even do some classes for for new riders who want to get out and try to do some uh, some dual sport and dip their feet into that into that lifestyle. Yeah, I'm sure there's some people that are in the overlanding community that are definitely interested in in jumping on the yeah. bike because it's uh it's similar, and I haven't yeah. done it. Uh, I mean, I'm a big mountain biker and and gravel rider mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But I, I imagine it's a different experience too, because you're kind of more connected. You got to you got to stay on your yeah. toes, right? Like yeah. on the vehicle, you can bang up your truck or whatever, but on the bike, you could go down and, and really hurt yourself. Yeah, you got to you know, like one of the things I tell everyone to invest in is get one of the inReach, um, you know, devices or a spot um, because you know it could it could happen at any time, and you want to be able to sort of connect with the first responders if you need to. And also yeah. for us, I mean, the beauty of the inReach was, is I was able to connect with my wife, even when we were off grid and mm-hmm. just, Hey, let, let her know that I'm okay. And everything like that. So I, that's a, you know, if you got a couple hundred bucks, that's, that's well worth investing in both for motorcycle stuff and for trucks. Absolutely. But, yeah. yeah. Um, I do want to talk to you about not, not on the show, but about uh Carrizo plane and Los Padres down there. Uh, yeah. That'd be a, a, a good what route a for glorious. Yeah, yeah, we were just down there um, with a group of motorcycles about a month ago in Carrizo Plain, and it was uh, tremendous, just absolutely tremendous. Yeah, I think that's one of those spots that, I mean, the word's kind of out with the Super Bloom recently, but not a ton of people know about it. And, and yeah. like you said, it's awesome. Um, but hey, John, wanted to thank you for coming on the show, sharing your thoughts about Kofa uh, coming on the trip with me. Uh, it's been really great to get to know you over these last couple of ventures that we've been on. So thank you so much. Uh, again, that's bigthumpers.com. Uh, do you have anything on Instagram or anything like that? Where I we do. We have uh, uh, Bay Area Big Thumpers on Instagram, and there's a Facebook page also. You can link to those from the website also. Perfect. So guys, that concludes episode four of the Overland Trail Guides podcast. Again, you can check us out at www.overlandtrailguides.com. We talked about the Kofa Pioneer Trail. We have, God, I don't even know how many routes we have on there now, but we have thousands of miles of routes. You get a GPX uh, download that has the track. It tells you the conditions. It tells you points of interest. It gives you places you can camp. So basically everything you need to know, uh, if you if you want to do this route or not and kind of what yourself, what you are getting yourself into. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think for our next episode, we're actually going to be talking about the lost coast. Uh, so right. tune in in a couple of weeks and until then happy trails. All right.